Hello, all of our gorgeous, gorgeous listeners, and welcome back once again to another episode of Straight Up, the pop culture podcast hosted by us journos, Kathleen and Ellie. How are you doing on this fine Sunday morning, my love? It's always so sunny whenever we record together. I can always tell what kind of mood we're both going to be in the way we open the door to each other. Yes, I feel like, good morning, babe. (laughs) I literally always can read from your face the minute you open the door what the tone is going to be. I think I once came to your house you open the door and I just started crying yeah I can't oh, remember that was a few months ago um, I must say as well I know I don't even want to ruin it because I want your full review post this afternoon but can you just let everyone know what you're doing today <gasps> I actually have a really exciting day I haven't even told you about my evening plan but I will feed back to everyone in the next episode so in the afternoon I have signed up to a bake-off not the actual bake not like the legitimate licensed bake-off brand but it's like a pretend bake-off that generally does look like the studio in Tooting. It's right by the Castle Pub. And I was at the Castle Pub with some friends and we were like, oh my God, what is this amazing setup that looks like genuinely the inside of the bake-off studio with all these like people um, baking in couples in their little aprons. And it's like a it's like a thing that you can do. You sign up in pairs. A and bake-off you, experience. You have a bake-off with all the others. I am so jealous. It's got the proper stands and everything, FYI, guys. I looked it up Did after you? you told me because I was like, I desperately want to do that. And there are no tickets available till <gasps> next year. It's what? really popular. I don't know how we managed to get it. They have it elsewhere in the country as well. So there's like London and I think there's Newcastle somewhere else. So if you're into bake-off, go and have a look. And then I'm going to the closing gala of London Film Festival. Wow. Because I set up an interview. I know. So I set up an interview with Michaela Cole. And the PR then very kindly had a pair of tickets to The Kitchen. Have you heard about this? It's our fave Kano's film. Ooh. With Daniel Kaluuya. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah. Okay, we'll definitely report back on that next week. Yeah, and I'm going to the after party. So I think I'm more excited for Bake Off, which suggests where what I am in wear? my life. I mean, it feels like, I don't know how you're going to go day to night, outfit-wise. What do you wear to a Bake Off and then a film premiere? I'm going to have a quick changeover here between right, Bake Off and say. the premiere. And um, I'm going to wear a little red co-ord which Cute. I'm not super confident about, but it's long sleeve. Trousers, skirts. Trousers. You love a co-ord. I'm in my trouser era. Yes. So, how um, tasty is our coffee, by the way, can I just say? Oh my God. I am really getting a pep in my step from this mojo blend. A pep in your step. We are drinking fabulous coffee from our sponsor, Nootropics. And regular listeners will know that the last time I had one of these, I was positively on cloud nine. Bouncing off the walls, I was were. bouncing off the walls. It gives me so much energy. I'm not just saying this. It's it, literally wild. I think you must be very receptive to adaptogens. Yes, to a bit of, um, what's in it again? Cordyceps. Cordyceps. Cordyceps mushroom. Anyway, look, we've got a lot to get into today. We do. Beginning with... Jada Pinkett Smith because her new memoir Worthy is out now it's just come out and there have been some very interesting revelations there have been some interesting revelations what do you think about her do you know what okay I like her I don't have a huge opinion either way actually I'm not gonna lie like I can so see how pre the slap so obviously Everyone here knows about the slap. If that you was don't know about the slap, the then you're listening to the wrong podcast. Yes, please leave. I'm not even going to go into <laughs> it. And I know it was set up that it was essentially like, I don't know, in some way partly her fault because of the way she'd maybe like ground Will down with the adultery and the entanglement. And actually, I found it really interesting. Now, this book has come out with her revelation that they've been separated 20, since 2016 because I think it casts everything in a new light. When the entanglement thing happened, I was a bit like, oh God. Come on. Whereas now I do look at it in retrospect and think, well, you weren't even together. I don't know. The adulterous wife narrative feels different. 
Okay, look, I'm going to say here that I do not like Jada Pinkett Smith. Oh, okay. I really... Spicy. Yeah. I like it. And um, I think she is completely taking Will Smith for a fool. Ooh. She's even bloody talking about Tupac's alopecia. Let a man yeah. fucking rest in peace. My God, can we not have any secrets anymore? Yes. She was like, he kept it secret at the time. So I will now expose it. Yeah. It's like he was probably, that's not something that needs to be revealed. Okay. I think, you know, you talk about your own alopecia and help people destigmatize it through that. We don't need to bring Tupac into it. <laughs> Actually, really I do hear you now you say that. I haven't um, thought about that, but yeah. I've listened to her on Red Table where she had Will on to talk about the entanglement and I genuinely felt like he was there against his will. He did look quite a broken against man. Against his will, yeah. very you much. Fire with your fire, sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I did feel quite sorry for him then. And the whole thing seemed like a bit of a bonkers spectacle, didn't it? Yeah. But I will say she's clearly a very open person. When it suits her. And yes. I'm sorry, but can we have a moment to read out her Instagram caption? Which, by the way, epitomizes everything I hate about Hollywood. Oh, go on, I haven't heard it. On October the 17th, I invite you into a journey that understandably many think they already know. The factors I have in the last four years contributed to the creation and perpetuation of falsehoods about myself in which other untrue narratives are birthed, which has surely aided in the misunderstandings that surround me. This fall, with deep humility and respect, I take back my narrative. I mean, also what I really don't like about the way Jada speaks, and I've heard her on her Red Table podcast, and it honestly drives me insane, is this reliance on what we've described, babe, as therapy speak or psychobabble, which not only like manipulates and warps and conceals the truth through language, which as journalists, we are immediately suspicious of, and which Jada has very clearly done in the last six years with her language. Um, But it also kind of gives this affected pompous vibe as if they think that their lives are of kind of divine importance and significance and purpose and therefore need these kind of super deep spiritual words to make sense of them and it just it just sounds like they think their lives are just more important than everyone else's which I really don't like either and I was reading Tim Roby the Telegraph Film Critics review he gave it two stars out of five which is not good and he said that there is so much psychobabble in it that is virtually unreadable it's very Hollywood like you said. I think it is interesting seeing behind the curtain, though, in, in terms of knowing what the relationship of one of Hollywood's most famous couples is actually totally. like. like Very. I do think that's quite wild that they've been separated for, like, seven years, but they still... They don't even live together, so they, no. they live in Calabasas. Will stayed in the family home, whereas she lives nearby. So they do have this very interesting relationship whereby they're still married, they still support each other. He asked her to come with him to the Oscars like as family rather than mm. as husbands and wife. So yes, I agree. She actually said, you know, we're very much in partnership. And I hear that. And I also do hear her defense of why she didn't talk about this, you know, why she didn't talk about this in, in the seven years that they've been separated. She said they weren't ready as a couple. They hadn't made sense of it yet as a couple. And fair enough, if you haven't yet made sense of something privately, why would you go public with it? But what I don't understand is then why go public about your entanglement? Make will look like he's been cheated on yeah and why has he remained silent like surely he's also having his own relationships so i read in her interview with hadley freeman yeah. in the sunday yes. times that they'd gone onto the red table to talk in part when the entanglement came up about their separation that was always going to be yeah part of that discussion but then will wasn't ready to talk about the separation so she says that because of her own codependency with will she 
fell into the adulterous wife narrative in order to protect the fact that they were separated because Will wasn't ready for it to be out there yet. So why did the fact that she cheated on him needed to come out in the first place at all? So I think they did the red table because that August, because August Alinas had already spoken to the papers. So he'd come out with his story. So the red table was a kind of follow up to the rumours that were already out there. It just feels really odd to have had your whole red table talk and everything being all about truth and my truth and honesty when you've actually created a performative half-truth. It just feels so against the whole point of your career and brand. One thing I found quite interesting that she says in the Hadley Friedman piece as well is that she refused a prenup always because divorce was never going to be an option for them. So she wouldn't sign one because she didn't want divorce to even ever be a consideration that's like on the table. Because of their religion. No, I think just generally she, because she didn't particularly want to get married anyway. She hadn't seen herself as someone that would necessarily get married. I don't know whether that's because of her feminist values, but she wanted to go into it being like, there is absolutely no, like, get out of jail card, I suppose. Well, what if Will wants to get divorced? So I guess he accepted the fact that she didn't sign it. But when they separated in 2016, she says that the ultimate goal then was divorce. However, in the time in which they've thought about all of that, they've realized now that they'll never get a divorce and that they'll just be separated. But she even says in terms of them living together that she sees them living together again eventually. And she kind of talks about, you know, especially as Will's getting older, I can see that he'll like need someone to look after him. But even then, I mean, he's only three years older than her. <laughs> She's like making it sound like he's like a decrepit in old fun. man. I have to say, uh, again, reading the Padley interview, she just constantly throws Will under the bus in this really like she manipulative does, way. Right. When she's like, she um, actually does. She does. So she says something like, they're talking about the slap. And she's like, you know, if I could get Will to do what I wanted, then we wouldn't have Our all marriage these would have been very different. Yeah, exactly. It's as if it's completely his fault that they had a marriage breakdown. So, so I totally understand coming from someone who's in a relationship where my, part, my boyfriend is very private and I'm a massive oversharer, and it, which does lead to some issues on this <laughs> podcast. interesting dynamic. So I totally understand that maybe Jada wanted to talk about their relationship and he didn't. Yeah, but I do find it weird. Respect. I just feel sorry for him. I'm like, does it... Does he want all this stuff about him always out in the press? I know you don't get much of a sense of what he's chosen to be out there. But as I say, she claims that the only reason that the entanglement conversation wasn't about their separation was because he got cold feet. I felt like there was another way they could have done that. Okay, yeah, um, August comes out with all this stuff in the press. You could just shut it down and then unearth it when you're ready to tell the full truth. So didn't you find it interesting in the... Hadley Freeman piece when she talks about them having a transparent marriage as opposed to an open marriage so they acknowledge that there was rumors in Hollywood for years about the two of them Will and Jada having an open marriage and when Hadley asks her about this she says oh no that was a misconception of people not knowing the other stops we'd taken so she says that the transparent marriage was a phrase or idea that they came up with when the kids were young because And I quote, at that time, Will was one of the most sought after actors in the world and around so many beautiful women. I wasn't going to set us up for betrayal. So I was like, let's just deal with this from the gate. You're going to be on sets a lot. I'm going to be home with the kids. Let's get real and approach this as friends. So Hadley says, so the two of you could have casual encounters with other people. Jada says, no, no. If you're having a casual encounter, then we are not together. So the transparent marriage wasn't about extramarital sex, Hadley asks. Right. It was about thinking about feelings and being able to say, I'm attracted to this person. You need to come out here and be with me for three weeks. That kind of thing. What the actual hell is she on about? She just constantly sort of talks in these riddles and half-truths. And I do know what you mean. It feels like 
a lot of obfuscating yes. to make things not feel purposefully clear. Using all this language about the self and truths and journeys, just spit it out. And if you were spitting it out, it would be a lot clearer to see that you're constantly moving the goalposts, it feels. What I will say on a personal level, though, is... I do somewhat agree with their points on divorce in that obviously I'm getting married next year and Marlon and I have talked a lot about the fact that like we are never getting divorced. Like we're have both... Have you? I haven't heard yeah, you yeah. say this. So we're both children of divorce. Yes, that's true. So having a different experience though in that my parents split up when I was a child, Marlon's split up when he was about 21. So we kind of experienced it from, from either side and we're both absolutely determined that no matter what happens we're not doing that to our kids like it's just long you know what I mean I don't mean boo-hoo us but divorce is just inconvenient in no matter what way it happens it's upsetting and we have decided that we will rather have an open marriage or even be separated and literally have other partners then we would get divorced while our kids are children at least so devil's advocate and this is my parents I don't have any experience of divorce but if you don't divorce, but say like Jada and Will, you live separately, isn't part what's of the, the difference? What's the difference? Because isn't the issue of being shared between two people and popping yes, around? Sorry. So I homes? wouldn't, perhaps then we wouldn't even really separate because what we've said is we would continue to live together. Right. Definitely. Fine. We would just allow each other to have separate romantic partners if our marriage did genuinely fall apart. I mean, obviously we're going into it pretty damn fucking I mean, confident. let's hope that doesn't. Like, we know that won't happen. I, I think that's why it. it's so easy for us to have these conversations because in our heart of hearts, we actually know. Oh my God, cute. That that's not going to happen. But we've set it up. Like, there's no way that like cheating or anything like that would ever be an issue for us. Already we're going into marriage knowing that that wouldn't be a factor for divorce. I think that's very smart. Second devil's advocate um, is say you had an open marriage but lived together with your kids would it not be very distressing if they were like oh mummy's doing where are you going that no, with, another, with not daddy in the bedroom no no you'd obviously have to keep it like hidden from your kids I think that is part the part where it gets a bit more complicated because also I think discussed the they, potential scenario exactly. yes you don't want your kids growing up in some strange some polyamorous household <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that if that's your thing I don't particularly want my children growing up with polyamorous parents that they're aware of like that personally wouldn't be the setup that I would be into I guess if you have them uh if it's always about like very clear to your kids that we all have these other romantic friends then it's not a secret so then they wouldn't feel weird about it but I wouldn't want my kids going into school and being like my mummy and daddy do this so I I actually have 10 mummies and daddies (laughs) yeah as we say completely each to their own I think if we were ever to get to that theoretical situation, the partners would definitely have to be hidden. And also, let's face it, when you're busy parents and you have full-time jobs and kids, the amount of time that you probably have for your like, bit on the side would be limited anyway. Do you know what I think you would do? Sorry to tell you what you would do, yeah. but I think you would have a no other partners around the familial oh God, yeah. household. No, I think that would be extremely inappropriate. Which I is, totally agree with so that. So then it would be like your bit on the side is always at a different Which goes back location. to that juicy bit of gossip about the leading humanitarian rights activist uh, we yes. spoke about before. The main issue with that infidelity was that the husband was having things sent to the family home yes. from his bits on the side oh it's all very complicated um listeners if any of you are in open relationships open marriages have children and would like to share your experiences with us we would love to hear from you love that i would really love (gasps) to hear that anonymous obviously if you wish you had such an interesting dm on straight up about a potential family connection i know we had a listener write in last week about my grandparents story and I won't delve into it too much again because we've concentrated on our grandparents enough in the last oh my episode. God, obsessed. 
But <laughs> my Alex Ferguson story from last week, the Beckham's episode in terms of Alex Ferguson coming to my granddad's funeral, a fellow listener also had the same experience where Alex Ferguson went to her granddad's funeral after he worked at Old Trafford for decades so cute very sweet so i may in fact be discovering secret relatives through the podcast guys we love that love it okay guys like us you've probably been hearing all the bars around medicinal mushrooms recently and since we've started dabbling we cannot believe how much of a difference they actually make to our overall mental well-being from reducing anxiety to boosting energy naturally it's genuinely wild it's why we're so excited to tell you about our pod partner london nootropics who make adaptogenic coffee in three very tasty different blends and for which we also have a 20 percent discount code so look at the show notes for that yeah so as a bit of a wellness obsessive and a thoroughly anxious annie to be honest i've been interested in adaptogens for a while they're basically natural plant extracts that not only calm stress but boost the immune system turbocharge productivity mental clarity and more it might all sound like a bit of wellness woo woo but clinical studies have proven that they really do work wonders long time listeners as well you'll know that i've been into lion's mane mushrooms for a while but I do have to shop around quite a bit to make sure that I'm paying for quality ingredients rather than just pretty packaging. Now, though, having discovered London Nootropics' handy little sachets of adaptogenic coffee, I just would not bother to buy anything else. I trust London Nootropics completely. They only use extracts that are super rich in active compounds, which is basically the marker of quality for adaptogens. They are so trustworthy, in fact, that London Nootropics actually display the actives in every batch of adaptogen extracts on their website. Well, they wouldn't be stars of Dragon's Den for nothing. And we reached out to them to work with us, actually, because we've been desperate to tell you all about London Tropics for a while. So today I want to focus on Mojo uh, because as a natural pre-workout, it's probably my most used of all the three blends. Made with cordyceps mushroom, which is known to increase aerobic capacity and oxygen flow, Mojo is all about boosting physical endurance, strength and ATP, our energy molecule. And since I've started having a cup before the gym, I've really noticed how much more energy I have for my sessions. Yeah, I've tried pre-workout supplements before and they left me feeling so on edge and disgusting. It was vile. Most pre-workouts are packed with caffeine, so many artificial sweeteners, horrible ingredients they're just not the ones so I was so chuffed to discover Mojo and really surprised actually to feel noticeably invigorated after drinking have to say as well I gave my friend Danny a sachet over the weekend and she whatsapp me yesterday to said that she had her best workout ever after drinking it go Danny we also can't wait to hear what you will think of London Tropics so head to londonnewtropics.co.uk enter the code straight up at the checkout for 20% off that's straight up all one word no caps right so on the theme of celebrity memoirs, babe, I cannot wait to tell you about the actually incredibly good celebrity memoir I've just read by Julia Fox. Go on. I've been intrigued to hear about this. Yes. So Julia Fox, for people that don't know, and actually I'm surprised by how many people aren't quite sure who she is or how she became yeah. famous. I feel like she is definitely one of those like peripheral characters that pre-Kanye, yes. no one knew about. Exactly. So a little background on Julia Fox, for those of you that don't know. In 2022, she became what the press described as Kanye West's muse. And together, I would say they probably became like the most photographed couple in the world, staging these very provocative, highly stylized shoots in hotels and New York restaurants. They turned Julia into what you might describe now as an it girl, if we're still using that term. But the paps and the fashion media were literally obsessed with Julia at this time. And actually, I was obsessed with her. I was like following all of this. I thought she looked amazing. And I was like really interested in her and Kanye's relationship because I was like, wow, 
what's happening, this whirlwind romance. But actually she was on Hollywood's radar in 2019, so years before that, because she was the breakout star in Adam Sandler's Netflix thriller Uncut Gems. She played Adam Sandler's girlfriend, who was also called Julia, despite having zero acting experience prior to that role, which is kind of extraordinary. Julia was very much on the New York creative scene circuit, kind of party girl about town. She was into photography and art. She'd been shot by Playboy. She'd started her own fashion line, funded by her billionaire sugar daddy, which I will get into later. Um, But back to Kanye, he saw her in Uncut Gems, had seen her on the red carpet at these Hollywood events, and they had a mutual friend, um, she writes in her memoir, and he asked them for her number. So then in December 2021, Kanye invited Julia to spend New Year's Eve with him at this club in New York. So Julia, at this point, was a single mother her child, her little boy, was barely a year old. She was raising him kind of solo because her ex-husband, who she'd met at the Uncut Gems rap party, was a recovering alcoholic. So they had this very unhappy, short-lived marriage. And she'd only really had one film role post-Uncut Gems, Steven Soderbergh's No Sudden Move, earlier in 2021. So I think you could say that she was looking for her next big creative opportunity, which to some extent she did find in Kanye. After they meet in that club in New York, he takes her to amazing restaurants and they have a great few dates. But then he becomes, as you'll know from your Kim K um, expertise, highly controlling. He appoints a whole team of people to dress her. He controls everything she wears when they go out together at one point and I find this really odd when they went for dinner together instead of telling her I don't like your outfit which bear in mind no one should do that anyway it makes your new girlfriend or any like so um he got a member of his team to say to Julia come with me come to the toilet where she had like eight different outfits for Julia to choose from to change halfway through the dinner Uh, because he didn't like her outfit I feel like he was very much using her as a prop not a real partner. Absolutely. He was using her, her as a kind of like fashion accessory. Yeah. To like... Dr- literally a handbag. Literally. Um, as an extension of himself. So then his team comes to flat pack away all her clothes in cardboard boxes, replacing her entire wardrobe. Like he did to Kim. Yes. He was... Wants- can you imagine caring that much about what your partner's wearing? Literally. Literally, who cares that much? I know. He offers to pay for a breast lift, which she finds really upsetting. He really wants her to sign an NDA, which she refused. Thank God she didn't. Thank God she didn't, otherwise it wouldn't be in the book. Yeah, he's like, we can't be friends if you don't sign it. And she was like, I think I'll survive. Um, So he leaks intimate photos of them together to the press, which I think it was the New York Post. She alludes to the fact that also they were heavily photoshopped. She woke up the next day being like, what the hell? I don't look like that. Oh, I haven't even seen these photos. Um, they were from like the, one of the very first dates that were packed. And I am scared that Kanye would have asked to photoshop. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if you'd asked to photoshop them. Photoshopped in what way? Like made her look, like probably made her bum look bigger, her waist look smaller. But that, oh, like, like face tuny type. Yeah. Tweets. So then things get really weird. And I find this so interesting because I remember reading this at the time. Do you remember when Interview Magazine ran all these pictures of them like in a hotel room where he basically rented a hotel room, put in like rails and rails of clothes and they were like cavorting on the sofa together. Yes, super sexual I do remember this. poses. 
there was like an accompanying uh, little like thing that Julia had written about that night. And it turns out that he had sent all those pe- private pictures of them in the hotel room to interview magazine. Oh, they were private photos. I thought that was a shoot. I think organized by interview magazine. No. So I think what happens is like when you hang out with Kanye, he just has a photographer. Like yeah. there was just a snap. And, and actually when I relooked at those pictures, she looks uncomfortable. And um, so I think she was probably like, oh my God. I mean, he's just so famous. I'm just cool. You know. I'm just part of a shoot 24 seven. Yeah. But didn't think they were going to be then sold into a magazine. And then he goes, I've told the editor that you're, you're going to write a little like piece about how you met me and how fun this night was. And she writes in the book, like, uh, I felt very odd having to write this, but okay. She writes it, sends it to him. He then gets someone to completely rewrite a completely fabricated version. And that's the one that gets published. And this is when she says, I feel like he's using me in some weird twisted game. It makes me feel dirty. So is it interesting? I think it is to show what an egotist Kanye is to read a tiny bit of the interview segment that he yeah, yeah, wrote. Yeah. I met Ye in Miami on New Year's Eve and it was an instant connection. His energy is so fun to be around. He had me and my friends laughing, dancing and smiling all night. After the play, we chose to do dinner at Carbone, which is one of my favorite restaurants, obviously. At the restaurant, Ye directed an entire photo shoot for me while people dined. The whole restaurant loved it and cheered us on whilst it happened. After dinner, Ye had a surprise for me. I'm still in shock. Ye had an entire hotel suite full of clothes. It was every girl's dream come true. It felt like a real Cinderella moment, blah, 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 blah. I've I've, um, missed some bits out because I don't want to go on, but it's all so much like, oh my God. Sycophantic nonsense. The fact that he had someone on his team write that is honestly absurd yes so then and this is what i find really interesting i remember because julia fox i think is genuinely one of the most beautiful people in the world like i'm obsessed with her well then i was concerned just from a kind of because it happened so quickly she suddenly lost loads of weight I was just say she's extremely slim but yeah. yeah so i noticed all this weight fall off her and i was just like oh my gosh i hope she's okay because it was really drastic and I thought at the time it was because she was famous now and that's what like famous women do. But then she says in her book that her extreme weight loss was prompted by the stress of her relationship with Kanye. Wow. And when she dumped him, because she realized like this, she was just being used like a pawn. All these fashion deals fell through. Her acting roles that had been lined up fell through because so much of it, it, it was been, all based on Kanye. Yeah, yeah, so this apparently this denim um, brand, this Italian denim brand who'd given her, was meant to give her a million quid for a partnership, was like, the partnership is contingent on you being Kanye's girlfriend. Oh. And now that's gone to Bianca, actually, she says. Oh. Um, and she says that uh, as I shed weight and lose my famous curves, something unexpected happens. Men no longer find me attractive. And strangely, it's liberating. That's really fascinating. So now, and I, I don't want to spend too long commenting on her body because no, I, I think it's actually inappropriate. We shouldn't verify. Yes. She's now, I think, using her body as a way of taking back control. And so she is like, if you look at her, she's got like a six pack and she looks incredibly strong now. So I think that's something she's doing to like take back the narrative around her body. I'm actually really intrigued to know how, like, for example, you covered the Julia Fox memoir, for the Telegraph, yes. I'm really intrigued to know how popular she is now, like how much people care, because she is such a flash in the pan. But like you say, this is one of the most fascinating memoirs you've ever read. I've seen it's being covered so widely. Yes. I'm intrigued to know, does anyone care? I wonder how her memoir is being received. I think she has a cult following that I was part of. Nice. Because on TikTok, she is like one of the most relatable famous people, I would say, in a way. Like, oh, I don't think I've ever even really seen many of her TikToks. I'm going to go and dive. 
deep dive after this so she did this like viral tour of her new york apartment like six months ago where everyone was like that cannot be julia fox's apartment it is and obviously it's you know it's a new york apartment it's still you know she's still privileged but it's not a famous person's apartment and that went viral because it was like oh wow like no famous people ever show us a i mean i can't believe she lives like this and she was like i refuse to move out even though i can because i don't want my son to grow up in a kind of distorted view of how people really live which I respect. And then she, and she really pokes fun of the whole like performance of fame. And this is why I love her. I feel like everything that she does, like when she went to the shops wearing her underwear and her handbag out of pair of jeans and called the paparazzi, like she is having fun with fame. Yeah, I've got to say her outfits are absolutely wild. That yeah. shirt she was wearing in an interview the other day, it was a shirt and tie stuck on the front of a shirt yeah. and tie. <laughs> so your outfit is the neck of the shirt yes. with the tie around it. Yes. Not not my style, but I appreciate the avant-garde vibes all the same. And she wore like a dress made of condoms. The other day I saw her in these like leggings that had the whole bum cut out and a heart. And oh my she, gosh. She actually looked amazing. But I think it's so refreshing to like, you know, when Kim K goes out and call, call, calls the paps, it's so desperate and she's so self-aware and she's so self-conscious. And it all just to me just reeks of like, trying too hard yeah whereas with julia fox does it i don't think she genuinely cares whether people like it or not whether she gets papped or not if they come because she's called them great she's just having fun with it so you think she's wearing the like condom dress say to just have fun as an artiste rather than for attention because i always have thought that she's wearing these out kind of outfits as a desperate bid for attention i think she knows that she can get loads of money by continuing being this really outrageous person that gets loads of paps to events so she isn't it kind of inauthentic then oh no because i think she's so honest about it in a way that people like kim k isn't and i think she genuinely wouldn't care if she stopped being famous interesting i think she's like well you put me here and you'll pay this ridiculous amount of money and you want to take it while i can yeah so she's she told the new yorker she gets paid 20k $20,000 to turn up minimum to an event and she won't turn up for less than that. So is that her job now? Professional event goer? Yeah. What's next for Julia Fox? Do you think she's going to be a a Hollywood actress? She's written a script about two girls that go on a bender. They're (laughs) in and out of AA meetings. They accidentally kill one of the girl's sugar daddies. It's really funny and crazy and I think very empowering. I quite like the sound of that script. Yeah. And like she's just like she makes fun of herself. Like she's on TikTok recently. She kind of reenacts that really hilarious viral clip of her telling an interviewer that her mem- that her book is not a memoir it's a masterpiece oh, yeah and she like acts along to her- that clip of herself in this really funny way like she just takes a piss out of herself fame like everything she does and do you think in five years from now people will still know who julia fox is i think judging by how good her memoir is she could definitely write a really good script in the style of did you ever see zola about the the oh, viral no, stripper heist. I remember you telling me about it at the time. I, I should sh- watch that. You should. It's it really good. I can imagine her writing a really good script. I think her memoir will... Has this script that you just mentioned been picked up? I don't know. She hasn't said that. I think her memoir will be turned into a film. I think she was really good in Uncut Gems, so she could definitely be an actress. Would you recommend for the honeys to go away and read it? Or do you think the top line info that you're giving is enough to get a general sense of what it's all about no definitely read it and okay. also there's so much stuff that i can, can't say for legal reasons Ooh. so the memoir is basically framed through all these stories of her relationships and in almost every single one she is either sexually abused beaten up or raped it is 
Honestly, oh horrific. So what's really, what was really difficult for me as a reviewer writing out for The Telegraph was how to deal with her experiences of sexual abuse because she writes it all in the first person and the present tense, very much in the tone of the age she was when she experienced oh, it. I was wondering this. Is it told from the perspective of a survivor? Is it looking back? You know, what's yes. the no, there's no perspective hindsight. that she's... There's no perspective. Ooh. So when she talks about her, like giving a blowjob to someone when she's like 12 or 13 she it's very much in the moment when that when she's not really in the mindset of a child yeah so you're not aware that it's so exploitative and when she loses her virginity age 14 to 23 year old when she um gets with a 26 year old when she's i think 13 she calls it exhilarating and she's like i now have power and it's really weird to read it because you're like, oh my God, like, can I even in my review talk about this as abuse because she's not referring it. So she doesn't actually frame it as abuse or is it left? Is it one of those unreliable narrator type of techniques where she wants the reader to just take away from it what they will? Yeah, I think she's like, well, at the time she didn't realize it was abuse because she was 12 or 13 and she calls it exhilarating. And I start shedding the baggy clothes and embrace my figure. I'm hooked to the power. And she talks about this power she has over men. But I'm sure that now Julia Fox would look back and be like, I was a child and taken advantage of. But she doesn't say that. There are some bits when, when she gets older and therefore she is aware very, very much of it in the moment as rape and sexual abuse that she will then say that. But the younger stuff is way more like grey area, which is just makes things really difficult as a reviewer because you don't want to like... Perhaps she was doing it on purpose. Like we say, it feels like a bit of a technique to not moralise either way on the experience. I'm interested to know then if she was talking about being empowered by her sexuality, how that then feeds into her work as a dominatrix. Yes. So basically she has a very terrible abusive relationship with this kind of gangster drug dealer that she meets at a party in New York when she's spending her time between Italy and New York. She's half Italian and her mum's Italian and was based in Italy. Her dad was based in New York. So she's a New Yorker born and bred. I was wondering that. Yes. She was like a small town girl that had come to the big city. Well, I think she felt like a provincial girl that came to the big city because she spent so much of her time in Italy. And basically she gets kidnapped by this gangster guy. Uh, she pretends to her granddad who she's living with in Italy that she's pregnant and needs an abortion. So he gives her all this money. Well, he thinks she's using it on getting an abortion. What she actually does is runs away, goes to New York to live with this gangster guy that she met at a party a few months before when she last visited New York. He then takes her phone, burns her return ticket. Her parents are putting out missing person posters all over New York and for three weeks, she's with this guy she calls Ace, the gangster, who's like selling drugs, who's constantly being like hunted by detectives. And eventually he gets locked up and goes to Rikers Island. He is so abusive to her, though. He like dangles her out the window. He beats her up with a suitcase, leaves bruises all over her. It's like a horrible, the scenes of the abuse by this guy are horrible. So eventually she gets checked into a psychiatric hospital, has overdosed on heroin several times. I think she's overdosed altogether like 10 times, which is why she did that exhibition called R.I.P. Julia Fox. It was all about her near-death experiences, which is why she did those paintings in blood. Anyway, so by the time she's like 18, she's been to a psych ward about twice, overdosed many times, and just come out of this incredibly abusive relationship with this gangster. So then she realizes that she needs to make some money. So she signs up to this advert on Craigslist or something to be a dominatrix and she's turned she gets a job she has to write this like dirty story which I won't read out but it essentially involves stamping on a man's penis how old is she at this point 18 
And she's then immediately gets work at this place called The Dungeon in New York, where she has to do things like pee on men's faces or like there's really one um, really weird guy who just gets her to chain smoke into a funnel that then goes into his mouth whilst he watches gay porn. But she basically says, I'm so fucking good at it. And actually that was her (laughs) first experience of essentially being an actress because she's like I'm playing yeah. different roles every day I improv my improvisation skills are amazing I can be a different woman every night I could definitely see her being great at the job yes. not gonna lie so then through the dungeon she meets a sugar daddy and he's the one that funds her fashion line her friends and her to live in this amazing apartment he buys her Mercedes shopping trips blah, 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 blah. But also he's a wrong one as well, becomes really controlling and possessive, blah, 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 blah. So that's basically, having that sugar daddy though, I think is what enables her to then become part of the actual socialite scene. Got it. I was wondering that. That's why I was asking about whether her childhood had been in New York because she seems so much so like a key figure on that party set. Yes. And it's actually was such a key part of like, well, not key part. She was such a part of New York's underbelly that at one point there's one scene where she talks about just instinctively knowing how to print money and rub butter on it and then iron on it, iron the what? notes. To no- She was like, I don't know why, but I just, it just comes naturally to me. But why would you do that? Why do you rub butter and what? To, I'm like, so confused. To give it a, a, like a slick texture. That so if you're making have- fake money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, so yes. she's printing. So at one point, because Ace, this gangster guy, is just printing money and doing all these other things, and she just gets involved. At one point, one of her friends is like relieved. She's he's like, "Thanks so much, Julia, for not robbing me," because she like starts robbing people. Like she has lived a life. Like so, when did she hang up her dominatrix hat? I think it was once her sugar daddy Rohan um, basically just paid for her lifestyle. She no longer needed to do the dungeon anymore. Um, so she would have been about 19, I guess. So, and how old is she now? She's 33 now. So it was 2014 that she got her fashion label funded. 2015 and 16, she published two photography books about her drug use and heartbreak. Modeled for Playboy in 2016. 2017 had her RIP Julia Fox exhibition, which got picked up by like Dazed. 2018 was when she was shooting Uncut Gems and she was... It was horrible. She was high every night of filming, totally addicted to heroin and other drugs. Loads of her friends died from overdoses. Like it's, it's really, really sad. And she tells it in harrowing graphic detail that like you are not spared any details. Like, okay, so I know you do love yourself something slightly depressing. Yes. Uh, would you say it's still an enjoyable read? Yes. I'm like, I feel like this sounds extremely dark. It is dark, but, but it's, I know you and your psychopathic tendencies. I am psychopath. You're going to rip through that shit. The darker, the better. Well, I think basically it often, you often have to remember it's a memoir and not like a thriller. Okay. It's just, and this is only a few things that I've managed to write down because there's just so much. I mean... Yeah, I would say you will rip through it. So it still feels like a fun read, which I realise sounds slightly problematic to say, given all of the detail that you've just given. So when you think celebrity memoir, you think fun read? Yeah, so that's why I asked. I would say it's not like Matthew Perry's, which was like just so depressing because that's his all about his drug addiction. To and, and I guess there was no like res- resolution there so much because he's not wildly happy living a sober lifestyle. No, and he's basically like, I don't know how much longer I can resist not trying heroin for the first time. Yeah. Um, not exactly a beach read. I, I have to say, though, 
I'm like, how did you manage to look like this? And I'm quite gems when you were like a drug addict when you were filming. I don't know. But her, to be fair, the whole Julia character in Uncut Gems is like a wild party character. So <laughs> I guess it makes sense. But yes, I would say it's bits of it are really funny. It's very exciting. It does read like a thriller. And yes, some bits I had my hands over my eyes and I was like, this poor, poor girl. I cannot believe this is happening to her. And I want to like call like 999 and like rescue her. It must be really odd when you're reading it because yes, if it's being told in the present sense, then you're not getting a sense of like a survivor who's looking back on a life but has been empowered by it ultimately. You're right in the... Yeah. trenches of the experiences as they're happening which I think is actually really powerful what do you think so you've touched on the fact that she obviously changes various names she refers to Kanye as the artist but in terms of the ethics of writing about other people Mm. in your memoir what's your take on that it's difficult because she she says that she's really worried about her parents reading it because they come across really badly and they're still around but actually despite what she says about her parents she is now in good she's now on good terms with her dad who is now taking an active role in helping raise her son Valentino which by the way quite weird that he's called Valentino when her dominatrix name was Valentina that is weird right not to be judgmental but I mean reminds me as well you know Rattenboa the brand yeah so one of the founders of Rattenboa is called Valentina and I follow her on Instagram she's very chic and she had a baby about two years ago and called it Valentino and oh. I just found that really odd. Why would you give your child the same name as you, but with one letter differentiating it? Yes, it feels a bit like, you know, when like kings would just name their child, like your name, but the second or whatever. Feels yeah, I mean, bit... I get that even more when it's family names, you know, and you've got like Big Steve and Little Steve yeah. or whatever. I kind of get that you're keeping a family name, but to have the same name, but the boy and girl version, I don't know, each to their own, of course. It feels a bit egotistical, doesn't it? A little bit, Surely yeah. the kid wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want to. So be I mean, called... it's like, do you not want to give them their own identity? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a mini me syndrome is probably not great for the kid. Um, but yes, I think having her, I mean, I'd be surprised if her parents are going to find it easy to continue their relationship with her after what's in them in the book. And I take it they clearly did not get a proof copy to read in advance if she's still worried about it. Yeah, Ooh. that's true. Or maybe, well, the thing is though, I think you have to, because I've been, you have to, you have to give people like a right to reply yeah. and all that, don't you? But I don't know, do you? If it's your own parents? Maybe they've been like, fair enough. Or maybe they've refused. They're just like, fine, publish it. I don't want to read it. I mean, surely you are literally allowed to write whatever you like about your own parents. I don't know. I don't know what the actual um, ethics of that are. No, the, I don't think you can. No, I think they need to... You either need to have evidence. Oh, I don't know. I actually don't know. All I know is when I interviewed Annie Lord about her memoir, Notes on a Heartbreak, which is all about her ex. Can I just say quickly as well on that? We forgot to mention it when we talked about heartbreak novels a couple of weeks ago. And in fact, as you rightly pointed out to me, that was a heartbreak memoir that we absolutely adored. I loved loved it. it. So it's not to say that heartbreak is not a topic that I'm interested in. It just depends how you tell it. Depends on the take. She just was so open. It was amazing. And it read like a novel. I really enjoyed it. It read like a novel, didn't it? Um, But when I interviewed her about that, and obviously the whole book is about her ex and that big, her first massive relationship. She had to take out a few things because the publisher had to send because he was identifiable through the way she described him even though she took out all like most identifiable characteristics all their friends are gonna know exactly Exactly. who they're talking about I mean it does take some some balls to write an entire book about about someone else obviously a writer's life has to be their material 
But yeah, I personally wouldn't write about one of my exes. I feel like that would be inappropriate. I agree. I think it would be a break of the trust that you had when you were together. However, it depends because then like one of her exes physically abused her. So I think, and now he's in Rikers Island. Oh yeah, in terms of Julia Fox. Yeah, absolutely, I think. But if they haven't done anything like illegal or really wrong, it feels a bit unfair just to... I think I would just literally be embarrassed. So as with Annie Lord, of course that's her experience. It was her heartbreak. It was fascinating. But you couldn't help but wonder who he was and want to know a lot more about him. I literally went away and tried to look him up online really? while I was reading that book. And I just think to have the guts, I, I actually applaud it. I wish that I was that brave. I wish that I could be that confident in owning my own story, but I wouldn't, I'd be too embarrassed to publish a book about someone else. And I would be too worried about their response. Same. And um, I, do you remember Dolly, Dolly Ald- well, of course you remember Dolly Alderton's um, Everything I Know About Love? I remember the obsession that everyone that read it, well, not everyone, but a lot of people that read it got with Farley. Yes, and she's got a private Instagram profile probably for that reason. Yes. Um, although I met, I met one of her friends, Sabrina, who was like, actually, she can't get into it anymore. And I, oh, and she doesn't. Not, yeah, and not keeping the world at bay. Yeah, and she's like really annoyed that she can't get into it and actually likes that she has lots of followers. So I don't know. But but I did think, oh God, does Farley mind that all these people are trying to like know more about her life? And obviously that very, the fact that her sister died and like, you know, it's... Yeah, it's bringing a level of interest intrusion that you personally might not have asked for yeah or so you might not have found really predicted like dolly surely asked her consent but she might not have known how massive it would get that's true but with her parents to be fair i think that julia fox's memoir has a societal good because it it does really show you how the repercussions of childhood neglect yeah. have on your late, all the decisions you make later on in life. See, weirdly, I feel differently about the parents than I do a partner as well. I feel your parents are so integral to your origin story that that is your story to tell. Your childhood yeah. is 100% your story to tell. Yes, particularly if your parents have not done right by you. Yes, although it would be mortifying, wouldn't it? Can you imagine if you brought out a memoir as well? I would feel bad. There are things that have happened in my personal life that would make the most amazing stories that I've never written about because it would just be too upsetting for the other people involved. Yeah, and actually, even though I've just said what I said, I do remember when we talked about Harry and William and Spare, I found it uncomfortable that he was airing all his family's dirty laundry. It's a really tough one, isn't it? It's kind of like no right or wrong answer. In terms of who has the right to tell what stories, it's a very difficult topic that I think is just filled with so much nuance. There's no clear-cut answer. There isn't. And also it's very different, say, someone like Harry, who was born into the most famous family in Britain. He actually had no say in it. Whereas Julia Fox, who has sought fame. Yes, but as you say, I think if she's undergone a lot of abuse in her life, then that is a really important story to tell. And I think she's absolutely within her rights to tell it, especially when you're the victim, you have to be empowered to take the narrative back. Totally. And also I should say that part of the reason she's written it is because she has, even though I love her and she has this cult following, lots of people think she's a fame hungry, like... You've completely changed my mind on her actually. So thank you. I feel like you've completely positioned her in a much more interesting framework as a proper artist and a muse. Yes. I didn't know how how artistic, I suppose, she was before Kanye. I thought she jumped on the Kanye opportunity to get her five seconds of fame. No. And actually, she seems like a much more complex figure than I gave her credit for when she first appeared in the public eye. Exactly. And I think her, the last line of her memoir is so fucking funny. And she, it's basically this, she talks about how underestimated she's been, all these awful things that all these men have done to her, all these women who have trolled her because they think she's some fame-hungry whore or however she describes herself. And then she goes, the last line is, but now everybody is wearing latex. 
That's the last line. That's the last line. Kind of reminds me of the last line of Barbie. Oh, yeah. Which I don't want to give away in case someone hasn't seen it. But oh, yes, don't. One of those tongue-in-cheek yeah. finishes. It's like, yeah, you can make fun of me all, all and say how irrelevant and how like transient my fame and success is going to be, but literally everyone is wearing latex. That's so funny. I am really excited to see if it gets picked up then for a film, as you say. Yes. And ev- I'll be watching that. And um, everywhere has covered it. Yes, it's everywhere. And very well reviewed. At, you know, the New Yorker, the New York Times, Washington Post, they've all said it's really good. Also, fun fact that I've got to say about Kanye, they didn't have a sexual relationship. I'm not surprised. Mm. So it was, in fact, a mutually beneficial piece of performance art. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was a creative partnership, I guess. But then he made it into something dark and controlling. I mean, I have to be careful with what I say here because, you know, allegedly and all that. There have been rumours and whispers for a very long time about Kanye's sexuality. Yeah, allegedly. Yeah. And I had heard a long time ago that even Kim was, in fact, a PR relationship. Really? Rather than a romantic one. And that wouldn't surprise me if it were true, because I think throughout their marriage, Kanye and Kim, they didn't really properly live together. It definitely wasn't a conventional marriage. What has very much disturbed me is how controlling and coercive Kanye seems. Do you think Kim wanted to be dressed like his own personal fashion accessory? I think she liked it at first and she defended him when the episode of the Kardashians aired when he was shown calling all her clothes trashy and throwing them out and replacing them. Mm. I think she reveled in this position of muse for a while. And then I think once they actually had kids and they were trying to raise a family and there was all this other stuff going on, it got pretty old pretty quickly. Like even before Kanye's well-documented public meltdown of recent times and before the divorce was announced and everything, I always got the sense that Kim and Kanye were living very separate lives. Yes. And I, and I get the sense that Kim had, has had a lot more power. She's quickly became almost the most power, the most powerful of the two. Right. Whereas I think Julia, because it was so short lived. Yes. I think Kanye knew perhaps as much as he wanted to control Kim, that she had her own incredible platform yeah he would always comment about the fact that his wife was the most famous woman in the world i always got the sense that he got a kick out of that yeah he loved her fame yeah i don't know what his what his like grander ambitions were with julia i mean he asked her to be his girlfriend and she was like uh we don't know each other that well and we also don't have sex yeah so yeah Hans, we have the best news for those of you based in London. Okay, how would you like to go to the best fitness classes in the capital for free? Yep, you heard me right, without spending a penny. It's all so exciting and it's thanks to our amazing partner Yonder, which as regular listeners will know, is this incredible lifestyle credit card that allows you to earn points for every pound you spend that you can then redeem at a selection of lifestyle experiences across the city, so from restaurants and bars to shops, hotels, gyms and more. So what's really fun is that the reward partners change each month, so loads to choose from last month you could use your points to get a free class at sweat bxr and some f45 locations which we both loved and this month they've partnered with boxing club co-box which describes itself as where fight club meets nightclub and then there's boom cycle which is apparently a party on a bike cathars that sounds like a bit of us i think we could go one friday night after work since we haven't been to an actual nightclub in a while oh my god i think we should and actually it's a fab thing to do for when you want to swap the pub for something just a little bit more wholesome but still hang out so i am defo up for that 
There are no hoops to jump through when using your points either. Just book online and pay with your Yonder card. Then in the app, you can just use your points to cover the cost of a class. So at the moment, I can see on the Boom Cycle website that they have an intro offer of free classes for £30. I'm going to book that with my points and not have to pay a single thing. Amazing. Also, guys, the point system is so good that the other night I went to 45 German Street, one of my favourite restaurants, and I used my points with my boyfriend to get the entire £175 meal for free. Go check the picture of my insane flambéed beef wellington on our straight up pod instagram 45 german street is one of the fanciest most beautiful restaurants in london mm. do you remember when we had our really cute friendship date there once quite early on in our friendship and we were chatting so much that we were literally the last people to leave and had to be asked to go <laughs> we did it was so fun also guys good to know the 15 pounds monthly yonder card fee includes comprehensive travel insurance so compared to other credit cards on the market it feels well worth the money thank you so much to our amazing partner yonder get your first month free and 10,000 points when you join then it's 15 pounds a month thereafter please do make sure you borrow response T's and C's apply, rep 66.7% APR variable. So, babe, talking of sex. Complicated dynamics between men and women. Yes. We have been watching Netflix's Fair Play. We have. I can't wait to hear what you think about this. So, basically, um, Phoebe Denver, I think that's how you say her name, from Bridgerton. She's like the main gal in Bridgerton when she had the relationship with Rene, Rene Jean Pages prince character do you remember him he was oh yeah that everyone really fancied yeah and then sadly he left and then i no longer watched bridgerton i actually n- never watched bridgerton oh did you not no i know crazy so this is her first big role since bridgerton i would say but she plays an american portfolio manager at a hedge fund and the intrigue is that she is secretly dating her analyst they then get engaged but no one in the office knows that they are dating or indeed engaged it would be against company policy and then she tips him off that he is going to be up for this big promotion but then she gets it instead I mean she is clearly a shock to her she didn't she didn't like mastermind it but she just is better than him and cleverer than him and just a better employee than him it turns out that the senior staff actually think he's slightly useless and he was hired as a favor to someone (laughs) yes and he obviously is not aware of this he thinks that he's cock of the walk yes until he very quickly finds out that he is not yes and it's a very interesting film he's called luke in the film itself but what's the actor's name it is i'd never seen him before he looked familiar to me and i didn't know why his name is alden enreich yeah. oh sorry his name is alden Ahe- <laughs> sorry to leave that one to you <laughs> his name is alden Ehrenreich. Sorry. Oh my God. I'm, why do I... Ehrenreich. Sorry. Yeah. His name is Alden Ehrenreich. I mean, they're a very like slick, sexy Wall Street couple. Yes. At the start, aren't they? It's all very aspirational. They're talking about $10 million deals. Mm. It feels very slick until it doesn't. Well, it's basically, if you liked industry, I would say this is a much less good version of industry, but it's fun for, you know, a Saturday night in. So the writer and director, Chloe Domant, who is 36, she has directed episodes of Billions and of Ah, Ballers. That makes a lot of sense. Can't you? And she actually says that the film was inspired by her own experiences of navigating power dynamics while dating. Interesting. So she very much, as a successful director, had relationships where the partner didn't love her success. Yes, so without giving too much away, essentially Luke thinks that Emily 
played by Phoebe Denver, has essentially like fucked her way to the top. And he thinks that the bosses just fancy her and that's how she's got successful. And he diminishes her skill. You basically see their relationship, which up until this point has been very successful, but the whole thing completely falls apart when he's passed over for this promotion that she gets. He can't handle it. He pretends that he can. He's like, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you. But it's obvious that he's definitely not. And then it's also been billed as an erotic thriller because I guess this less credible sub storyline is that the more dysfunctional their relationship becomes and the more rivalry and bitterness between them the more sexually charged their relationship becomes and emily becomes incredibly sexual and constantly wants them to essentially what she, she keeps saying this refrain which is you just need to fuck the shit out of me you just need to fuck yeah, the shit out that of was me. really odd <laughs> yeah, it was. i wasn't getting that in terms of what they were trying to get at. No, I think she was trying to be like, we need the, there's so much built up tension and rage between us. Sex is going to make it go away. Whereas actually it was like, your relationship is clearly just deteriorating beyond any possible repair. I mean, what was your take on the film as a film? I didn't mind it. As you say, good for a Saturday night in on the sofa. I'm glad I watched it. I would definitely recommend all of you go away and give it a watch if you have the time, but I didn't love it. I didn't think it was particularly thrillery, as you say. I kept waiting for something more to happen. I know it's meant to be psychological, but I thought that it was a little bit slow-paced, considering I thought something more dramatic might happen at some point, and then the film was suddenly over, apart from the actual unhinged ending, which becomes absurdly dramatic, and that's all I'll yes. say on it, not to yes. give anything let's away. All say, let's just say that it becomes quite violent. I thought it was interesting though in terms of what it's speaking to as we say in terms of power dynamics between men and women I saw something that Chloe Dominant the writer director had said where she said that it's essentially laying bare the tensions that poison so many relationships between men who are supposed to be enlightened and women who are supposed to be comfortable with having it all so she says that we're in a post me too era where we're meant to be past a lot of these things but I think it's just less on the surface and more under the rug so I found that interesting. She says when she was going out with men who didn't like her success, it wasn't something that she wanted to admit to friends because then what would that say about her and her choice of partner? She would never want to admit to girlfriends that she's with someone who's threatened by them because she feels that her friends would judge them. Right. So I think that dynamic's interesting. Like we're all meant to be past this, but we're not. And I think that's a tension worth exploring. Totally. And I think, you know, me and you are actually lucky or maybe not lucky. It's more we've actually engineered this precisely because it's difficult otherwise our partners are in very different creative or very different professional spaces from us. I also do think that we happen to be with men who actually are kind of inspired and galvanized by their female partner's success so rather true. than threatened by it. So true. I've noticed that my boyfriend is the most attracted to me when I am killing my work. Yeah, I feel like he wants you to be as successful as you can be rather than diminish your talents totally and I also you'd ever do that no never and also financially as well like he very much wants me to like get my bag and yeah. like not just rely on him exactly and I think the fact that the gender pay gap while obviously still a huge issue of course it's slimmer than ever before is quite relevant because yes things are changing so quickly in terms of men and women's dynamics in society but psychologically I don't think we're keeping up even though we pretend to on the surface so true 
I found it interesting in the film as well. You know how, again, not to give too much away, but Luke, the male character, he's getting really into this online course that he's doing. I didn't know whether that was meant to be some kind of nod to these like mm. misogynistic gurus. I didn't, they don't explicitly say that it's misogynistic. It's all about him embracing his power and being a confident person. But I felt that there was a nod at, Andrew Tate type. That's such a good point, babe. Yeah, I actually hadn't thought about that, but you're right because there's this one bit where he's reading out passages from the book to Emily and saying, you know, I've just read a chapter on appearance and you should really, you know, look at it. Yeah. And it does feel very misogynistic, i.e. like the way you dress impacts how seriously you're taken at work. And I'm the expert because I've just read this thing that this man's charging people to read online. So therefore I'm going to tell you. And then he says, you're literally the more professionally successful one. Yeah. And he says, you dress like a cupcake. Yes. And so then she changes her wardrobe to swap from like little frilly white blouses and pink blouses to all black. Yes. Like a black turtleneck. But, and I would love to get your thoughts on this. I mean, the way you dress is relevant. Let's be honest. Yeah, but for men think, and women. It is, but I don't think how she was dressing before was in any way inappropriate. She was wearing obvious city slicker style clothes, like pencil skirts and blouses, like you say. I think the irony in what he was saying about her appearance was that in in one way he was trying to say that her femininity had been a hindrance. Yeah. But actually then he was also arguing that she'd weaponized her femininity to get ahead in work. Yeah. So I think he just was coming from a place of misogyny. I agree. I, I also think that the characters were incredibly badly written and don't really make much coherent sense. So it could also be a fact that they're not very believable as people. We're actually in like a, it sounds ridiculous to say privilege, but a privileged position in that we've actually never been with men that are threatened by our success. Well, I know so many women have, that's such a common thing. I would love to hear from any listeners who have been in that position. Have you had yes. a partner who hasn't liked it if you've been professionally successful yeah I think that happens all the time because I don't think any of my male friends again you don't know what goes on behind closed doors but as well as I know them I don't think that they would be threatened by their partner's success in fact I think when I think of a lot of the couples I know I could probably argue that the woman is maybe more successful than the man also if you are a deep misogynist it's unlikely if you're already working together at the same company that you're going to even fall in love with a woman who is higher than you in the she hierarchy. She wasn't higher before though, that's the thing. Oh yes, well fine, but even like yeah, on, a level. on the same level and then she bypasses him with the promotion and that's when it becomes an issue. It wasn't an issue for him that they worked together when she was like a little submissive woman who was lower down in yes. the pecking order. But when she became more senior, that's when his like fragile masculinity just couldn't take it. Yes, that's true. I mean, yeah, I think that probably happens a lot with yeah. a lot of couples. I think it's really interesting in terms of the dating landscape now. We spoke about this, I want to say like two months ago in our episode, it's called Matty Healy, Phil Schofield and Why Modern Dating is So Broken. We talk about Chris Williamson, who's a very well-known podcaster, who's actually done a lot of work in this space of new era masculinity and why things have gone so wrong, I suppose. And he turned this phrase called the high heel effect, which is looking at the social phenomena whereby women now are outperforming men. That's a fact. So intellectually, in terms of more women go to university and college, women are doing really well on grad schemes. You know, there's been this huge boost as the fight for equality continues. Mm. Women are becoming undeniably more powerful. Yes. And while that is 
of course brilliant for women it has left men behind I suppose in that women who are successful professionally don't want to date down he calls it the high heel effect so women want to only be with men who are as professionally successful as them but they also don't like dating men shorter than them that's why it's called the high heel effect Mm. women want to date men as taller as them or taller than them however because women are doing so well comparatively in society these days and men are lagging behind there's now this wealth of successful women and a dearth of very successful men in comparison particularly also there's the age issue where women can date men that are older than them whereas men tend not to do that so much I think it really speaks to this huge shift where women are becoming more powerful and men don't know how to handle it. But because, as I mentioned earlier, Chloe Dominant says, we want to feel either empowered or enlightened, no one wants to speak about it. Yes. But it's creating resentment. We've talked a lot recently, particularly in the Russell Brand episode, about this new kind of branch of toxic masculinity. And I don't think that pushing these issues under the rug helps that like there is a resentment growing amongst men as much as that's not our true experience of our own partners and all the rest of it you just go online and you can see this huge like uptick in misogynistic rhetoric it's coming from somewhere and the more we don't acknowledge it the worse it's going to get absolutely and as we touch on in that matty healy episode there's also some toxic narratives from women about you know Um, with when it comes to masculinity like I won't pick up the bill like I want men to pay for me I won't come out of my house unless someone is literally going to bankrupt themselves for me the stuff I see on Instagram on the blogs is just mad the entitlement that women feel about what they should be bought and stuff yeah I think gender dynamics have just never been in such a time of flux yeah and the more we interrogate it and discuss it and do have films like this to be fair that look at it the more we're bringing it to the fore and making it okay to actually talk about. Absolutely. And these women who are being like, I'm not leaving my house for a first date unless a man sent a chauffeured cab or a chauffeured um, car and then picked up the bill and taken me to the most expensive restaurant in London. And yet we need to be complete equal partners. And yet if he ever talks down to me or is in any way dismissive of my femininity, then also you're like, we can't have it both ways. Exactly. Um, you're either equal or you're not. You're either, it's just, yeah, it's a weird, very weird time. Yeah, it's up to all of us, men and women, to redefine what these dynamics are and to redraw the relationship between men and women in a society that hopefully at some point will be like post-patriarchal. We I mean, don't have all the answers, do we, babe? We don't. All in all, I think an admirable film in terms of what it's trying to do, not so brilliant to watch <laughs> actually a toxic thing I did the other day was when I did something really annoying and my boyfriend got angry with me I replied to him on whatsapp being like I am but a humble woman <laughs> and that actually did work so what did he say back oh okay then yes and I was like let you off then I was like I'm afraid I don't know anything and have no power um I can't remember what it was about I think I hadn't done the dishwasher right although actually most humble women would do the dishwasher well I've got to say I feel in your relationship you're often rejigned you're often redrawing the uh, gender dynamics anyway because your partner is in fact in charge of most of the housework, is he not? He is a brilliant cook and long may that continue. Um, Keep you out of the kitchen. (laughs) Probably (laughs) wise for all. Oh, he made a brilliant duck cassoulet last night. Amazing. Yeah. That is swanky. Mm. Anyway, now I feel really guilty. So (laughs) let's end that there. 
Okay, bye. Before we finish, shall I tell you very quickly about Queen of TikTok, Madeline Argy? Yes. Post watching her Call Her Daddy interview, which I have wanted to regale you with for a couple of weeks now. Yes. So, honeys that don't know, Madeline Argy is basically Queen of TikTok, as I say. She is a 22, 23 year old British girl. I feel like she's from somewhere like Hertfordshire. I should know that, but it's one of the counties. She was in. Perhaps one of the most high-profile relationships, particularly on TikTok of the last year or so, in that she was dating rapper Central C on and off for two years. Yes. It was a fascinating interview. I didn't know a lot about Madeline, so I really enjoyed hearing about her. I know nothing about her. So how did she become famous? She became famous posting TikToks. So for those that don't know what Call Her Daddy is, just as a quick sum up, it's the most successful podcast by a woman... Alex Cooper, she, along with her fiance, have now set up a bigger production company that's kind of aimed at Gen Zers mm. and like fostering exciting new voices called the Unwell Network. So they have Alex Earl and Madeline Argy as their first signees. Madeline Argy's podcast is called Pretty Lonesome because her thing, if you like, is telling all these completely crazy stories that sound like they would only ever happen in a, say, TV show that have actually happened to her. Embarrassing, silly things. And she's built this community by talking about these absurd things and how relatable they, in fact, are. That sounds if that great. Makes sense. Yeah, so I'm explaining it badly, but it'll be like, oh, this ridiculously embarrassing thing happened to me. And yes. it's so unrelatable that it's actually relatable. Yes. That's kind of her vibe. Love it. So to kickstart her podcast, Alex Cooper had her on an episode of Call Her Daddy, which was recorded over a 48-hour New York trip. It's quite fun, actually. They go to Alex's fiancé's premiere, his Netflix film, which he directed, Love at First Sight. Have yes. you heard of that film? Yes. Have you watched it? No. Oh, I loved it. So for those that don't know, it's got White Lotus star Hayley Lou Richardson in it. And then Love East her. Enders Ben Hardy. Oh. He's actually really good as, as like a British heartthrob. He's clearly going to be the kind of new Colin Firth, Hugh oh, Grant nice. type. Yeah, it's a really cute film. So basically, two strangers connect on a flight to London only to be separated by a twist of fate. I'll just leave you with that. You can Classic all go away and watch synopsis. it. Yeah, it's one of those really... It's a Gen Z rom-com, yeah. basically. And it's actually very cute. I really enjoyed it. You know... Not the best example of filmmaking ever, but a thoroughly enjoyable watch all the same. Normalise mediocrity. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's like, uh, put it this way, I'd say it's better than fair play. Oh, okay. It, it, not as deep in terms of topics, but actually probably a more a enjoyable A good A minus. Yes. So the episode I found fascinating, because while I love Madeline on TikTok, where she is extremely open, there was just so much about her that I didn't know. She is one of these typical famous people in that now she's an it girl, but she actually grew up feeling a lot like an outsider. Mm -hmm. You know, that's always the way it seems to be the story. So she says she was so chronically shy that she was mute up until a certain age. She physically couldn't speak oh to God. other children at school. How funny to go from that to then a that's TikToker. That's what I mean, like literally a professional shit talker yeah. comparatively to someone that would not speak. So she was moved to a Montessori school, which is one of those hippie schools. Have you heard of them? Have you heard of Steiner schools as well? I got confused what the difference was between Steiner and Montessori. No, I actually have no idea. So they're alternative schools where you and they do have points of difference between them but the the long and short of it is is that they are more about things like woodwork and potato digging and singing and stuff than traditional school right however because she's been to a traditional school she was like what the hell is this she actually got expelled <gasps> because she encouraged all the kids to pull their pants down at one point it was a really weird story where also the school hadn't been built yet so all the kids were literally building the school as right. part of school that's is that not child labor i know it's a bit odd isn't it <laughs> 
She also talks really movingly about what it was like growing up with, because her mum has a disability. So her mum was actually a philemonide baby. Do you know <gasps> what philemonide? Yes. Yeah. And therefore her arms didn't develop properly in the womb. So her mum has restricted movement and less, like her arms didn't grow all the way down. And it was really fascinating because actually you would think that that could be a reason as to why she was bullied. But in fact, she said it really empowered her because her mum was so confident about her disability that she came into the primary school and told all the kids about it and stuff so that no one would ever tease her. And seeing her mum be so empowered was a massive positive oh, for her in her amazing. life and, and gave her deep-rooted confidence. By the way, guys, thalidomide was something... What was it originally It was in? a morning sickness pill. That's what it was. So in our sort of grandparents' generation, it was given to women with terrible morning sickness, not realising the impact that it had on the fetus. So there's a whole generation of people that have all sorts of knock-on effects, deformities. It kind of can go from really, really serious to like a missing finger. There's a whole yes. scale of impact. But yeah, so I really liked how she couches her inner confidence in that experience. That's amazing. And she does go into the breakup. <gasps> okay, so as well. why did they break up? So it's kind of a complicated one. Their relationship is, the relationship lasted for two years, was a little bit on and off. The way she describes it was clearly pretty toxic. And I don't think that their work setups, either of them, was helping. And she actually ended it, she said. Mm. Uh, when they're arguing again and again, she says that they were arguing terribly at the Olivia Rigo, the face party that they went to. I saw pictures of them that. Yeah. Olivia and, and Amelia de Moldenberg was there. Yeah, exactly. And they would, and she said everyone in the room could sense that something wasn't right. Apparently Olivia Rodrigo even said something to her. But she said they would spend a lot of time back and forth arguing over text when they're meant to be enjoying their lives. And she's like, you're doing so well. You're in this really exciting time in your life. Like, why would you want to be back and forth on the phone to me for three hours in yet another argument about nothing? So I think it was pretty damn toxic. Well, I did think that some of the lyrics about her and his songs were maybe like a bit toxic i found it fascinating as well she said that he is in fact her or was her first male partner yes so if you don't know she's bisexual but she'd previously more been comfortable with the label lesbian however obviously then having a relationship with central c she that was broadened out but she talks a lot about how she hates labels and i thought it was a really interesting quote she says you can't intellectualize your sexuality and she almost didn't want to get with a man on principle because of how many people when you say that you're a lesbian, try and... Try and put you in a box. Yeah, or try and trivialise your experience and be like, oh, you just haven't met the right man yet. Yeah. And you're like, no, I'm a lesbian. And I should say as well that that's one of the lyrics that he's really famous for, which is, how can I be homophobic, my bitch is gay? Yeah. Which is just like, oh, I think a toxic a lyric really through annoying. and through. Yeah. Particularly in light of what you're saying, because you're just labelling her there and then, your own girlfriend. Yeah, so I think clearly... It had been a relationship that had gone on a bit too long anyway, but they were both kind of addicted to each other, also addicted to the toxicity. Not a good time. I think sensible. Yes, I did actually read that she constantly, and I saw on Instagram as well, she would say this, tried to get him to be less um, misogynistic in his lyrics and stop calling girls bitches and stuff. Well, it was quite sweet because Alex Cooper is very much talking to her in this kind of big sister way. Yeah. So as I say, when she's talking about this exciting time of his life that centres in and they shouldn't be arguing like this, Alex Cooper's like, mm, yeah, but you're also in a really exciting time in your life, actually. Yes. Like, what about you? 
Love that. I know, it's really cute. Okay, well, should I listen to it or have you given me the top line? I've given you the top line. I would say it'd be quite fun for you to watch the video. So on Spotify, the video is there. And I have to say, I love their recording setup. So honeys, if you would like us to do a bit more on the fly recording, let us know because at one point they record literally in bed. <gasps> I would love to record in bed. Another point they record in a restaurant while they're having a meal. Also, you did say to me the other day that you wanted to get in my bed. I did. I don't think I've ever got in your bed. No, because you were like, I pass it like it every Monday. So and it looks so comfy. With all your lovely white sheets. Yes. Dressing gown episode incoming, guys. Oh, yes. And also, I feel like we have worn each other's dressing gown. I'm sure I lent you a dressing gown recently. We've record. definitely recorded in dressing gowns and it gets really nippy. <laughs> uh, right, guys, please leave us a review on Straight Up Pod on Instagram. Also, I did notice that our PSA to leave a Spotify rating did marginally help. There Oh, please leave us some more my smattering. sweetlings. That would be amazing. It does help us uh, sleep better at night. So. We're also obsessed with hearing from you at the moment. We are living for your DMs, so keep those coming. Yes. But Reco's always welcome. More TV Reco's. After today's roundup, clearly there's a slight dearth of television at the moment. Yes, there is. And also I would like to let everyone know, who I'm sure will be no doubt very excited to hear this, that I have ordered the sequel to Kill Your Friends. Oh, <laughs> Um, I'm sure everyone is on the edge of their seat, babe. Yeah, which came out a few years ago, which I didn't realise. My boyfriend's currently reading it now. So more bad boy lit coming. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually I will stop talking about bad yeah. boy lit. Maybe but next Next month. week will be bad boy lit and the bake-off. Yeah, Bad Boy Lit and the Bake Off. Very quick side note before we end. What do you think of Alison Hammond on the Bake Off? <gasps> I love Alison Hammond because have you ever seen her celeb interviews? No. She interviews Harrison Ford and Gosling. Ryan Gosling? Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's getting to the point where I'm suddenly really hungry and I've gone faint-headed. And it's so funny because Harrison Ford is a notoriously terrible interviewee. Yes. And she just gets them both laughing. Okay. Also, so yeah, she's good at that. She's, oh, I thought you always see things from this morning where people are hysterically yeah. crying with laughter also there's one in, there's one bit where she was presenting something and she just fell in the Thames oh my god okay I'm gonna let that up now let's leave you with that image okay <laughs> 